And the title of my message this morning is Selective Hearing. Now, selective hearing is an interesting dynamic that takes place sort of on multiple levels. On one level, this is an incredible, fascinating function of our brains, that we, can, we take in so much information at one time, our ears receive so many, so, so many uh, different noises going on at one time, but yet we're able to focus on what's most important. The fact that you can be in a busy room, a crowded room, lots of noise, and focus on a conversation in front of you and not get distracted by everyone around you, that's the process of selective hearing that our brains are biologically wired to do. Now, some of us do this better than others, but it is this incredible ability that we have to focus. Now, there's another kind of selective hearing, and this one, I think, gets us into trouble more often. The other kind of selective hearing is not focusing on what we need to, but focusing on what we want to. Does this tweet ring true of anybody? Some of you are slowly starting to get that. (laughs) Ever had that conversation, men, with your wife? (laughs) Another form of selective hearing is we can zone out what, we can zone out what people are saying because we've decided it's not all that important to listen to. And so we are very selective in what we choose to hear, what we choose to pay attention to. Another way that this can happen is when we are in conversations with people and we cherry-pick what we want to hear them say, or we will latch on to one aspect of what they say rather than the whole of what they're saying. Have you ever had somebody tell you, hey, you heard what you wanted to hear? Where you latched on to maybe just the positive things they were saying and you sort of ignored the correction that they were bringing. Or, or vice versa, maybe you only heard the negative things they were saying and you didn't hear all actually the positive encouragement that came with it. Like, we're so good at latching on to what may fit our bias or, or fit our sort of agenda that we can be selective in our hearing, hearing what we want to hear, not always what we need to hear. In our passage this morning, James is going to confront us on the dangers of selective hearing, the kind of selective hearing where we hear God's word and we may even outwardly posture as if we are receiving God's word, but we're actually not being faithful to do God's word. And the danger of this kind of selective hearing is that, as James is going to say multiple times, it is self-deception. We deceive ourselves when we participate in selective hearing. And the, the fruit of selective hearing, at best, is shallow and superficial and immature faith, and at worst, empty and meaningless faith. And so James is going to press our selective hearing this morning. He's going to challenge our selective hearing, and he's going to call us to something far better. And so here's the main point of our passage this morning. Truly hearing the word is obediently doing the word. Truly hearing the word is obediently doing the word. So let's walk through this passage and see how James holds out this truth for us. And let's start here. That to truly hear the word, we have to start with a posture of humility. So back in verse 17, and Pastor Paul touched on this verse a couple weeks ago, James writes that God gave us new birth, new spiritual life, through his word of truth. 
He has given us his word, and it is by his word that we experience new life in Christ. And then now in verses 19 through 21, James is going to point us to the condition of our hearts, the condition our hearts need to be in, if we are going to receive this word. He writes, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you want to experience the new life that the word brings, new birth, new creation, as we talked about last week, then we need to have a posture of humility. Our hearts must be humble before God. We must be ready to receive and to hear and to do. Notice what James says in verse 21, humbly receive the implanted word. Where is this word coming from? Not inside us. It is something given to us. It is implanted in us. This word does not originate within us. It originates from God. God gives it to us. And it's something we are to receive humbly. It is a word that we recognize we don't get to call into existence. It's a word that we don't get to shape and define. Rather, we respond, we receive to what God has given us. And we do so humbly. This, this humble, this call to humility actually calls us back to verse 9 in chapter 1. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. So who is the one who experiences the power of new birth? Who, who is the one that God exalts and lifts up and transforms? The humble. The one who is humble. The one who receives. The, the one who acknowledges their need for salvation and transformation. And so if we are going to drop our selective hearing, if we are going to not walk in self-deception, then we have to start from a place of humility. Like our hearts must be postured before God in humility. The problem then is that too often our hearts aren't humble. Like the soil, the condition of our hearts too often is hard rather than soft. And we harden it even more through our behavior. Like, have, have you ever sort of recognized that your behavior can affect the condition of your heart? Well, as James does regularly in this letter, he, he connects belief and behavior. In, in verse 19, he, he exhorts us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so what does that have to do with humility? Well, let's flip this around. Are people who are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger, are they humble? Like, have you ever gone, man, that dude runs his mouth? What a humble guy. Man, she is so quick to anger, I've never met a more humble person in my life. Man, that couple, they never listen to each other. What a model of humility for everyone else. No, that's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Because people who are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger aren't humble. And so what James is calling us here to, the, the behavior that he is pointing us to, is a beha are behaviors that actually cultivate humility in our hearts. Yes, it's good relational dynamics. But deeper than that, he's calling us to cultivate humility in our lives. Being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. 
Those are humble moves. Those are movements of humility. And this is what we have to recognize about behavior. I think in, in our church, we, we recognize, because we talk about this a lot, that our behavior comes out of our hearts. Like what's in your heart will show itself in your behavior. But sometimes what we often miss is this. It's a two-way street. Like what comes out is a revelation of our hearts, but the more we walk in a certain behavior, the more our hearts become that way. Like we become more and more of how we behave. And so James's call to cultivating humility, he treats it at the behavioral level because that matters. Because how you behave will also shape your heart. And so if you are slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to become angry, is that going to make you more humble or less humble? Is that going to make you more receptive to hear God's word and be obedient to God's word or less so? Now, in a few weeks, Pastor Kyle is going to talk more specifically about the use of our tongues. But let me just briefly state this here. Like, listen, our speech isn't neutral. Your speech isn't neutral. Our tongues are either making us more humble or less humble. The way we use our tongues is either making us more receptive to God's word or less receptive to God's word. And then our anger. Look, anger isn't always bad. Like, there are things you should absolutely get angry about. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. James doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, be slow to anger. Don't be reactionary. Don't be defensive. Don't blast others with your pride or or cut them with your coldness. You see, anger can be righteous. But, let's be honest, is your anger more often sanctified or sinful? When you experience anger, is it usually righteous or is it sinful? Like, let's be honest, most of us, our anger is not righteous. Like, sometimes it is, but more often than not, it isn't. More often than not, it is full of pride, it is, it is full of selfishness. We get frustrated at other people because they're not getting on our agenda and our timeline, they're not doing what we want. And so you have to ask the question, if, if you're feeling sort of a defensiveness that, that anger is okay, hey, is your anger making you more humble or less humble? The angrier you get, does it make you more receptive to God's word or less receptive to God's word? James says, be slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Meaning, in our anger, more often than not, what's coming out of us is not righteousness. It's not reflecting the character of God. It's not bringing about righteous ends and righteous sort of goals. When we are in our anger, more often than not, it's a hardness of heart. And here's what we have to come to grips with. The more we give ourselves to anger, the more our hearts become shaped in anger. So about a year and a half ago, I had this experience with Mindy that really struck me. One day she, she tells me, she's like, hey, I'm experiencing you more and more angry and irritable. And this was kind of a shock to my system because I'm like, I'm a laid back guy. Like, I, like, I don't get angry often. Like, I, I see myself as, as someone who doesn't let things bother him all that much. 
And I had to stop and I had to recognize, like, while I'm laid back, I have a stubborn streak. And Mindy will tell you, I can be stubborn. And, and, and when I get angry, something happens in me where this, it's like this switch flips and it's just, I can't come back from it. Like I cross this line and I get to this place where I just stop listening. I shut down. And no one is going to tell me otherwise what to do. And if I'm angry, I'm going to be angry. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm more the cold side of anger. I don't, I don't explode. It's more, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to be cold. And what I recognized is because I had deceived myself into thinking my anger, I'm, I'm really not an angry person and my anger only, only happens once in a while under extreme conditions, I had told myself it's not that big a deal. And I didn't ever really deal with the things causing me to be angry. I would sort of just let the moment pass and get over it and Mindy and I would kind of reconcile but, but never really dealt with it. And so over time, that anger just started hardening my heart more and more and more, and I was becoming more and more irritable and less and less sensitive to God's word in the spirit. And so my wife called me out on it. She's like, hey, is this the person you want to be? <laughs> that, that I have to dance around your moods at home? And so by God's grace, I had a wife that called me out and good counsel to help me process through that. I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't get angry. I still get angry. But what that experience showed me and really scared me into was this, that my anger was shaping me into someone who was not humble before God, not sensitive to his word, not ready to receive from his word and from his spirit correction, and I wasn't walking in obedience. And so friends, listen, when we allow anger to rule our hearts, when we don't deal with it, it is shaping us into the kind of person that is not going to be humble, is not going to be receiving God's word in humility. And look, maybe anger isn't the thing that you necessarily struggle with, but the same problem underlies all of this. And what is it? It's pride. It's when we decide that Jesus isn't going to be on the throne, we're going to be on the throne. When it's not God's word that we're going to follow, it's our own word. When we decide that everybody needs to get in line with our agenda, and when they don't, we get upset. Or everybody needs to get in line with my agenda, and God needs to get in line with my agenda, and if nobody else does, well, I'm sure going to do it anyway. And so whether it's anger or something else, the root that James is pointing to here is our pride, where we enthrone self where we put our own wants and desires and agenda over God and his word, when that happens, we will not humbly receive. And we will, you better believe, we will practice some selective hearing. We will cherry pick what we want to hear. And we will only listen to what we want to hear, what only validates our agenda, rather than hearing God's word and responding to it. And so in contrast to this pride, James calls us to cultivate hearts of humility be quick to listen, humility. Be slow to speak, humility. Be slow to anger, humility. And then also what he says here, rid ourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And so the word translated rid here or ridding in the Greek literally means to unclothe, take off. Take off all moral filth and all evil. These are just general terms that James is using to talk about anything that is against 
the righteousness and goodness of God. That sin that clings to us, that sin that we have given ourselves to, take it off, unclothe yourself. And so the picture that James is painting here is a picture of repentance. Take off, turn away from, get rid of the sin that keeps you from humbly receiving God's word. The the, the sin that builds pride in your heart the sin that causes you to enthrone self in your own word rather than God in his word. James calls us here to a posture of repentance so that we may humbly receive the word of God that's able to save us. And so the question here is, have you repented? Like, have you repented in that ultimate sense where you have turned from your sin and you said, I'm going to trust in the word of God that can save my soul. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ turning from my sin and submitting to him and his lordship. And then if you have, are you walking in continual repentance? Are you continuing to humble yourself before God's word, turning from that sin when you are exposed and turning to the truth? Are you cultivating humility that you can truly hear God's word and then obediently do it? Because, as James goes on to tell us, Humbly receiving the word carries forward into hearing and doing, as he writes in 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful here, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And so James compares our relationship with the word of God to like looking in a mirror. Pretty sure we've all looked in a mirror before. When you're looking in a mirror, what are you looking at? You're looking at yourself. You're looking at how you look. Just kind of saying, oh, there I am. Now, We're not going to analyze what you think when you look in your mirror, but you recognize what looking in a mirror is for. It is to see how you truly look. And James says when we look into the word of God, when we look intensely into it, it shows us who we truly are. And James here, he calls the word the perfect law of freedom. Such an interesting thing to call God's word. Because typically when we hear law, we think anything but freedom. So how could God's word be the perfect law of freedom? Well, what does God's word show us? What does it reveal to us? Let's just take a moment here and reflect on this. First and foremost, it shows us who God is. It shows us his character. It shows him that he is the sovereign, all-powerful, holy, majestic creator. And that he is good, and he is righteous, and he is just, and he is true. And so we, we see the greatness and the glory of God in, in his word, and we see his character. But we also see who we are, that we have been made in the image of God, and that as those made in the image of God, we are called to have the same character of God. We are called to walk in goodness and truth and righteousness and love, just as God is. But then when we peer deeper into the word, what we see is, man, we're anything but. Like, we aren't like God. We aren't loving, we aren't good, we aren't true, we aren't righteous. No, we're actually rebellious sinners 
We have rebelled against God. We've turned from who God is and his goodness and his righteousness and his truth, and we've followed our own ways. And so in our sin, in our rebellion, we have made a mess of ourselves and of our worlds. And so we see the problem. We see that we actually stand under God's judgment, not his blessing, because of our sin. God's law reveals that to us. But then comes the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel that God, in love, sends Jesus. And Jesus, in love, comes and steps into our sin-cursed world. And what does he do? He perfectly keeps the perfect law of freedom. Like Jesus walks perfectly in God's goodness and truth and his righteousness and love. And not only does he do that, Jesus willingly lays down his life as a sacrifice for our sin, fully and perfectly completing the payments, taking the full wrath of God that we deserve. But he doesn't just die as we celebrated last Sunday. He's also resurrected on the third day. He ascends into heaven and one day he's going to come back and renew all things. And the good news of the gospel is that for all who see who they truly are by looking into God's word and rather than deceiving themselves, turn in faith to Christ, repenting of their sin and turning to Jesus and putting their trust and loyalty in Christ and what he has done, we experience forgiveness. We experience freedom. We experience new life. This is what we see when we look intently into the perfect law of freedom. And what else does God's word tell us? For those who are in Christ, for those who've experienced new life in Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit of God living in us, transforming us, changing us, and empowering us to walk in obedience. And so when we now, if you are in Christ, when you look into the perfect law of freedom, what do you see? You see a life of freedom. You see a life of goodness and truth and righteousness. You see how God has intended for us to walk, and that way is a way of freedom. Friends, don't listen to the lie of the world that says that freedom is in self-fulfillment and self-definition. That's not freedom, that's slavery. And you don't have to look any further than our culture to see that. No, true freedom is walking in the goodness and the righteousness and the love that God holds out to us that we are set free through Christ to walk in. And so when we look intently into the perfect law of freedom, we see who God is, who we are, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus has empowered us now to do. But what happens is, is too often we, we settle we settle for selective hearing, right? We settle for selective hearing. James says we're like those who look in a mirror and then forget what we're like. So, so imagine waking up one morning and looking in the mirror and you just see this big like brown streak across your face. Or maybe you got like boogers hanging out of your nose. Just whatever. Your face is just a hot mess. What, what goes through your mind in that moment? Like, oh my goodness, I need to clean myself. I mean, I need to, this, this, this can't, I can't go out in the public like this. Like, I need to clean my face off. There, there needs, some change needs to happen. And so there's sort of this shock, there's this horror, and then there's like, I need to do something about that. Well, when we look into the perfect law of freedom and see what we look like, we're seeing there's something wrong here. I, I need to be forgiven. I need to be transformed. I need to be renewed. Like, there, there's a problem here that needs to be fixed. Now imagine seeing all of that on your face and turning around and forgetting that you look that way. 
and you just go about your day. And you go through your day with that booger hanging out of your nose all day. Like, shock, horror. You're like, really? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you consider someone who, who did that just maybe a little silly and foolish? But like, like, what if you saw somebody and you said, hey, man, you got, like, stuff on your face, just letting you know. And they're like, oh, thank you for letting me know. And they just sort of turned around and kept walking. Like, like there's something silly and foolish about that. And there's something silly and foolish when we look into the perfect law of freedom and see who we truly are and decide, eh, don't need to do anything about that. James says we're like someone who forgets what they look like. Now, what does he mean by forget here? Is it just, oh, I looked and then, oh man, I got distracted by other things and I forgot that I had this problem? No. What does he say in verse 22? When we're not, when we're only hearers and not doers, we're deceiving ourselves. The forgetfulness that James is talking about is self-deception. We forget because we want to forget. We choose to forget. The, the forgetfulness that James is talking about is the forgetfulness when we look in the mirror, see what the Word of God shows us who we really are, and we say, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good enough. My, my, my good outweighs my bad. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Or it's the deception to say, you know what? I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. I'll, 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 I'll be obedient over here, but I'm not going to be, be, be obedient over here. Or it's this kind of deception where we can acknowledge our mess. Now hear me on this. We can acknowledge our mess. We can acknowledge our need for forgiveness. But it goes no further than this momentary feeling of, I'm, I'm feeling bad about this. This momentary feeling of acknowledging the mess and it sort of hits us in the feels for a moment, but we actually never repent and turn towards Christ and start to walk in obedience. Friends, listen, if you can confess sin, and, and maybe you do this in prayer, maybe you do this in gospel community or to other people, but, but all it is is sort of this, just this cathartic confession where you, you're just getting this emotional like knot out of your system. And you naturally never repent of that sin and turn from the sin and turn towards Christ and start walking in obedience. Listen, that's selective hearing. That's looking in a mirror and forgetting what you look like and you are deceiving yourself. Friends, cathartic confession feeling momentarily bad about something, that's not the same thing as repentance. Not the same thing as obedience. True repentance, true obedience. Remember, humility before God. A humility that leads you away from sin to Christ, to obedience. And this is one of the fears that I have for us First City Church. I think far too many of us live here we live in that momentary, I feel bad about this and I'll confess it, but it goes no further. We're looking in a mirror over and over and over and we're forgetting. We're forgetting. We're exercising self-deception. We're telling ourselves that bad feel is enough rather than saying, oh, I need to repent. I need to not just be a hearer, I need to be a doer. Because friends, if we just live at the level of hearing and not doing, if we live at the level of deception, if we live at the level of selective hearing, 
Friends, there's no blessing in that. There's no blessing in that. There's no growth. There's no maturity. There's no power. And then we start to feel hopeless. And that is not what the gospel intends to do in our lives. But notice what James says here. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. When we look into the perfect law of liberty, then do not forget. When we don't deceive ourselves, but rather humbly receive the word, depend upon Christ, repent of our sin, walk in obedience, and, notice what James says there, persevere in these things, meaning we keep humbly walking in obedience, we keep going to Christ, we keep confessing, keep repenting, keep walking in obedience throughout our life. As we persevere in these things, there's great blessing for us. There's promise here, church. There's promise. And this this blessing isn't American dream blessing, health and prosperity and wealth. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about something far greater. This is the blessing of the power of the word of God. New life, salvation, forgiveness, freedom from sin, transformation and renewal, spiritual maturity, the power to walk in obedience the, 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 the goodness and the blessing of when you walk in righteousness and truth and goodness, that, that brings about blessing in your life. That has an impact on you and others in your life, and that is good. When, when you are empowered to love other people, that brings good into their lives. The, the power of the word of God to bring hope and peace and joy and faith, God working in you and through you, all of this blessing, all of this blessing, is what James holds out for us here, what God's word holds out for us. These are no small things. And then ultimately, where does this lead? What has James been talking about in chapter one? Endurance. Like at the end of all of that is endurance. You will make it all the way to the end. Your faith will be made sight, will be made complete. Like there's incredible promise here, church, but this doesn't come through selective hearing. This is, comes by truly hearing the word, by obediently doing the word. And then James concludes this train of thought by circling back to concrete behavior in verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Like James just does not let us off the hook. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. And he's got something for everybody here. Like, you think you're faithful in your religious practice. How is the use of your tongue? How are you using your tongue? Are you humble and slow to speak or prideful and quick to speak? Are you building others up? Are you loving? How are you using your tongue? Or you think you're faithful in your religious practice. How are you treating others? especially those of low estate. Like you think, hey, I'm good with my tongue. Okay, are you loving the lowest of the low? Are you loving those that are in situations of desperation and need? Are you sacrificing for other people? Like do you see others in their need and your heart goes out to them? There's a sense of I want to to love them and care for them and help them. Like are you thinking past yourself? Well, you think you're faithful in your religious practice. 
And okay, you control your tongue. And boy, you love other people. You serve other people. Okay, how about this? Are you being more shaped by the word of God or the culture? You think your religious practice and you're faithful in your religious practice, but are you submitting to what God says is good and righteous and true? Or are you listening to the culture? Have you become stained by the world and the lies of self-reliance and self-definition and self-fulfillment? Like, what I love about what James is going at here is like, if you kind of put it into our own sort of categories, he's going at conservatives and liberals. He's going at everybody. Like, there's no safe spot we can hide in our own self-righteousness and sort of say, I got this nailed. James comes at us and says, you think your religious practice is faithful? How are you using your tongue? What's the condition of your heart? How are you loving other people? Are you being shaped by God's word or are you letting the culture define who you are? Like, look, that's the whole, he's like encompassing the whole of our being. And if there's any piece of this where we can say, you know what, I'm not being faithful, then we're in trouble here. (laughs) Selective hearing. James goes so far to say that if you're religious without controlling your tongue, if you're religious without caring for other people, if you're religious without actually being unstained by the world, this is the worth of your religion. Useless. Like all of your going to church on Sunday, all of your going to gospel community, all of your reading the Bible, all of your learning theology, all of the religious activity that you could be doing, if your heart is not being transformed, it's useless. That, friends, is scary. That's scary. It's scary because when we are fully engaged in the life of what a Christian should be doing and our heart is not being humbled and sensitive, that means we are slowly being hardened and more and more and more resistant. So James doesn't let us off the hook because what's at stake here is significant and profound. He's shocking us. He's pushing on us. He's shaking us out of our slumber to say, don't be hardened. Don't let your religion be useless. Rather, humbly receive God's word. Listen, hear God's word, and obediently do Look into that perfect law of freedom. See who God is. See who you are. Be humble. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn towards obedience. And then from there, use your tongue for good. Build others up. Speak truth. Speak love to other people. Encourage. Yes, correct. But use your tongue for the good of others. Love and serve and care for those, especially those who are hurting and desperate. And do not be shaped by this world and its lies, but rather be shaped by the word of God and that truth. Like that, that is a religion that is not useless. Friends, for all, for all the religious activity that we can be involved in, the danger is that when we engage in selective hearing, we're going to be left with a shallow, superficial, and immature faith. And we're going to be hypocritical and unloving. Does anybody want that? I don't want that in my life. I don't think you want that in your life. I don't want that to define this church. And so James calls us to something better, something more. He calls us to the power of the gospel transforming us by hearing the word and being faithfully obedient to that word. And so, church, 
rather than selective hearing. Rather than being led by our pride, let us be those who cultivate humility. Let us be those who receive God's word humbly, that, that word that saves us and that word that continues to transform us. And then in cultivating humility, let's not just be hearers, let's just not posture ourselves outwardly as those who are receiving, but let's hear and do. Let's be obedient to do God's word, continuing to intently look into that perfect law of freedom. And as it shows us where we need to repent, we repent. And as it shows us what it looks like to walk in goodness and truth and righteousness, let's commit by the power of the Spirit to walk in goodness and truth and righteousness. And let our obedience shine forth. Let our obedience shine forth in our worship. When we gather here on Sundays, let our obedience shine forth as we gather in gospel community. Let's continue to grow in our knowledge of God's word, but let's be obedient to that word. Let's speak that word to one another. Let's encourage one another to be obedient to that. And in our love for others, let's build one another up. Let's care for those that are in need. And in all of that together, friends, Let's stand against the sin that just wants to corrupt. Let's stand against the lies of the world that wants to corrupt and pull us away from faith in God. Friends, what James holds out to us is so much greater than selective hearing, so much more profound than cherry-picking obedience, which is really no obedience at all. And so let us be a church that is committed to truly hearing the word by obediently doing the word. Amen? Let's pray.